Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and our text this morning will be verses 2 to 16. As I was studying this text, I, I wasn't sure if I should do six weeks on this or one. And so one week, one, one out, I think we could get lost in this. And so I want us to give us uh, maybe a streamlined understanding of this text this morning. Follow along with me as I read. Now I promise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now I said, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man is not created for woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither a woman is the woman independent of man, nor is the man independent of the woman. For as a woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her, a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go through this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher, that you would help us grasp what is going on in this text, and that you would protect from error, and that anything that is wrong will not be heard or remembered. And so, Heavenly Father, in this text, we pray that you would help us to understand what you have in mind, and that we would be willing to be obedient to it, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, if you were to ask a pastor, what is the most difficult passage in Scripture to interpret? What is the most difficult passage for you to know what it means? If this one's not on the top of the list, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. Because we have so much conflicting information as to what is actually taking place in history and what Paul is talking about, that it is difficult to actually mine it all and get to a conclusion. And if you were to read commentators, they are all over the place. They are up, down, sideways, left and right. And so this morning, as I come to this text, I come to it humbly, at least it should be, and I will give you my understanding of this text. It may not be your understanding, and certainly we want you to go with your conscience when we come to this, but I'm certainly not going to declare that I have, after all of these years, discovered absolutely every detail of this passage. And so the key to this passage, I would understand, is humility. And so I'm going to try to walk through this text and give you my understanding 
and humbly present to you where I stand now. Because as we study this text and as more information comes, it is possible that as God reveals more, that maybe some of the details that I give to you this morning may not be what I would understand five years from now. But nevertheless, the text is here and therefore we have to deal with it. Now, I would understand that the main issue that is taking place in this text has nothing to do with head coverings. Wow, what? But I thought, I, I actually don't think that the, that the whole issue here specifically is head coverings. The whole idea here is authority and submission and understanding your role underneath that authority. And so the crux of the matter is authority, submission, and therefore in submitting to your role, you must stay within your role that God has given to you. And so in light of that, I want us to start through this text and we're going to try to go line by line as quickly as possible as we can because it's, we're going to have to go fast to get through this text. But we will try. Now, Paul starts this, first of all, like any good teacher and, and anyone who is trying to win his audience, he starts with a little bit of praise. I'm going to tell you something a little bit difficult, so I want to make sure that you're with me. And so Paul says, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And so this, this word tradition is used in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 to speak of, of doctrine. And so he says, I delivered this to you. In, in other words, I, I gave it to you in this content. I gave you this doctrine. And Paul is really saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm praising you because the teaching that I've given to you, you've actually held to. You haven't wandered off and done whatever you want, wanted but doctrinally, you have heard and received and maintained what I, at least what I've given to you, or at least what you've understood. And so Paul kind of starts with this, this compliment to them because he's about to give them some information that maybe not everyone will be happy to hear. And so Paul says, I give you strong praise because you have followed my teaching. And then he starts in verse 3, and he starts, and he states a principle, really. He, he states a principle that will override the whole rest of the passage. And this is why I talked about authority and submission. And he's going to give us the principle in verse 3. He says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. And he says, here's a universal principle. There's authority and submission all through the universe. And it comes in different packages and different relationships. And he says, I'm going to give you three. And you'll notice only one of them has to do with women. The first one has to do with men. And he says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Now, you're used to hearing that Christ is the head of the church, right? Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians tells us. But here he says that actually Christ is not just the head of the church, but he is the head of every man. In other words, the term head here means ruler, authority, governor. Christ is over the church, he rules it. He's sovereign over men as well. He is the ruler of every man in the universe, every man in the world. Some don't acknowledge that rule, but it is true nevertheless. And so Paul starts and he says, listen, Christ is the head of every man. He stands over every man and he has right to rule over top of him, which means every man needs to submit to that authority. They must submit to who he is. Christ rules him as a governor. He is the authority. 
And even though men rebel, that someday they will be brought under that judgment. So Paul says, listen, here's, here's the first relationship. Understand this what? That men are to submit to who? Jesus Christ. He has the right to rule over them. He is their head. The second principle is what? The head of the woman is what? Man. He says, the, head, the man is the head of the woman. And he says, here's the principle. There's a sense, and in a broader sense, there is what? Male leadership. God has designed men to be in charge. He is right from the very beginning. In the garden, he created what? Adam first. And he put him in charge. And he said, and more, even we could be more specific within a marriage, right? Men are put as what? The head of the home. And they are, they are by God's design meant to lead that home. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God made it. And then he says, thirdly, Christ, God is the head of Christ. Now, how can that happen? I thought Jesus was God. How on earth can God be the head of Christ? Well, notice this. He uses the word Christ. He's speaking of Christ in what? As the Messiah. He's, he's speaking to, to as Christ as what? In the incarnation. Right? So he is what? Submit. In other words, when Christ came, he made it very clear. Who did he submit to? He submitted to the what? The will of the Father. He submitted to the will of the Father. And so Paul says, guess what? When Christ came, when he came to earth and in the incarnation, he submitted to the will of the Father. He had a human will, he had a divine will, and he submitted his human will to the Father. And he says, here's the principle. There is authority and there is submission in relationships. And you must understand that in these relationships, there are certain roles that must be placed and they must be lived out because of the relationships that have been divinely given. Now you'll notice that each one of these relationships is ultimately going to be governed by love, right? God loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. Christ loves his beloved, his beloved loved him, the husband loves the wife. So this is not supposed to be a harsh, overbearing thing, but it is a relationship and submission in love. And that is the thing that keeps this from being what? Harsh. Nevertheless, the principle still stands. There's authority and submission. There are those who are over others in relationship. It doesn't mean a difference in value. It doesn't mean a difference in equality. It means a difference in role. And so he states this principle. I want you, as we come to this issue that I want to talk about, understand that there are roles to be played. There's authority and submission. And you must what? Stay within those roles. You must submit to those roles. Christ in his flesh could not overturn the Father. We don't switch man to be the head of Christ. Neither do we, do we switch the role of male and female and husband and wife. Now, after stating this principle, he now begins to apply it to us. He says, every man, has, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off, 
but it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off her, or her head shave, let her cover her head. Now here we come to this lightning rod issue, head coverings. He says, let a woman have her head covered. What does that mean? When does she cover her head? How does she cover her head? How are we going to get to the bottom of this? Well, there's a couple of things that I think that we're going to need to define as we look at this passage to help us through. Now, first of all, I want to just simply say, let us define what does it mean to prophesy? Because your understanding of prophesying will decide much of what takes place next. Now, there are those who say that prophecy is what we would call forthtelling. In other words, it's me expounding the word. So what I would be doing right now is prophesying. I am expounding the word to you, therefore I am prophesying. But I would understand that prophecy used in scripture always refers to foretelling, which means revealing something that has not been revealed before. And so when it says that prophecy has ceased, that is exactly what it's talking about. That there is no more foretelling. Scripture's complete, the canon is here. The first century gift of foretelling is gone. Therefore, prophecy is simply foretelling. Now, if we define it that way, we automatically know this much. If a woman is to put something to cover her head to prophesy and prophecy is done, we would say just on the face value then, that's certainly not applicable today. Now I know traditionally there are those who have seen prophesying and praying as referring to the same thing. It's called the synecdoche, in other words, things that represent the whole. So if I say you have nice wheels, what am I talking about? I'm talking about your car, right? And so these two, they would say these two parts represent worship, and therefore, since you worship all the time, you must wear something on your head all the time. And so you will see denominations that where the ladies wear something on their head all of the time. And so they, they wear it whether in church or not. There are others who think, well, this is only only when you come into the gathering of believers in, in the church, then a woman should have something on her head if she prays in public or, or says something in public. And many, many theologians would say that this is speaking of the gathering of the assembly of the believers in the meeting of the church. And they would say this section begins a section of dealing with those in the church. Yet Paul doesn't say that whatever is taking place is taking place within the church. Doesn't say that. And so as I look at this passage, I would understand that he is actually carrying on with the freedoms that were taken on before. He's been talking about our Christian freedoms and now he's continuing on that Christian freedoms. And so I don't see this specifically to the assembly of the believers on Sunday morning. It could be any group, any public gathering. Now again, the information is difficult to go through, but it would seem that in Corinth, it was part of their culture for a woman to wear a, something covering her head to show submission to her husband. And it would seem that there were those within Corinth who were throwing this off. There were those, it would seem, that there were those who were feminists who were shaving their heads to throw off male leadership. There were those who were also um, using their Christian freedom to take this veil off. 
Sometimes it was used as prostitutes. Sometimes the people are caught in adultery. But it seems that the cultural idea was this, that a woman was covering her head, and again, this, this actually means having hanging down from the head. So whatever this is, this is not actually a hat. This could be a veil, it could be a scarf that covers and then covers the face. We actually don't know what it is, but it's not a hat. So whatever this is, it's not a hat. And Paul says, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. And the idea is this. If culturally a woman is supposed to cover her head to show submission to her husband in public while she speaks, if a man puts that on his head, what does it look like? Looks like he's putting a sign of submission on his head. And he is culturally demonstrating that he is submissive rather than being the leader. And so I would understand it as, as he looks at this, Paul is saying, listen, a man is, is not supposed to put something on his head. He's not supposed to show submission to society or to, to, to women because he is what? Under the headship of Jesus Christ. And he says when he does that, he disgraces who? His head. Well, who's his head? Some people say it's his head, literally his head. But I think he, he doesn't, he could have used a reflexive pronoun here himself. He doesn't. And I think it's reflecting on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's been, he is, he is now disgracing his head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that he has been created in the image of. And then Paul says, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. In other words, when a woman in that culture would uncover her head, she's the same as a woman who's had her head shaved. Now again, we, we, it, it could be the feminists. It could be those who were uh, prostitutes. We don't know specifically but we do know that it says, but it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off. So whatever this is, it's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. And so Paul says, for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. May as well completely cut it off. Because it's disgraceful for a woman to have a haircut. In other words, it's, it's disgraceful for the woman in that culture not to, not to be wearing this thing hanging from her head, this veil. So she may as well just shave her hair. In other words, if you're going to do that, you may, as well, you may as well actually just shave your head. It's the same thing. It's shameful. And then he says, let her cover her head. In other words, and I would understand this is what Paul is saying. Culturally in Corinth, women wore veils when they spoke in public to show them themselves submissive to male leadership and to their husbands. And Paul is saying to them, use your Christian freedom, you Corinthian women, to wear it. Use your Christian freedom to wear it because culturally this is exactly the way it should be. So Paul says, Here, here's how I apply it. There is a cultural understanding and there is a role that takes place here. In other words, there is a role of submission and there is a role of male and female that is to be, and the lines are not to be blurred here. Men don't dress like women. Women don't dress like, women dress appropriately to your gender. And in this case, it is, it is in Corinth, it is for you to have your head or this veil put on your face. And so Paul's point here is not to make a universal decree that every woman has to wear 
something on their head because we, we don't even know what this is. We don't know for sure what this is. So we might have to cover you from head to foot. I don't know. If we're, if, but the thing is, is we don't actually know what this is. And if God thought it was so important that universally we would have it, I think it would be explained in more detail. But the principle here is what? Be culturally appropriate and submit to the role that God has given you. If you're a woman, act like one. Demonstrate who you are in being willing to do this. You'll notice that Paul doesn't address this, this issue in any other church. There were, again, there is no other church that has this problem. It would seem like this is a local custom that takes place. So what did we learn? Wow. This is my understanding. This is not taking place specifically in the church. It can be any public gathering that a woman, if she is praying or prophesying, needs to what? Cover her head in Corinth to demonstrate her submission to male leadership and to her husband because it is culturally appropriate at that time. I would understand that that prophesying could not take part in the church, and I'll tell you why. If this is foretelling, we would understand that this is revelation from God, and when you speak revelation from God, you are by very nature teaching. Scripture, by its very content, is didactic. It's teaching. And so if you, are do, if you have a woman standing up in church prophesying, you have a woman who is now what? Teaching. And I think 1 Corinthians 10 tells us what? A woman are to be silent in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says they are to be what? Not to teach or have authority over a man. And any time you teach, I would understand that you are standing in authority. Now, I want to temper 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I don't think he's saying that you come in and you don't say a word, right? I think there's an appropriate expression of, of speaking in church, right? But the idea is there's not a leadership role here. Well, he continues on and he says, I'm going to defend this principle for you. And he gives us two defenses of this principle. For a man ought to have his head, for a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For a man does not originate from woman, but woman from a man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Again, we're going to unpack some stuff here. <laughs> it just keeps coming. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. In other words, when Adam was created, he was created first. He was created in the image of God. And men don't, 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 are not to cover their heads because they are the glory of God. Now that's a very strong and very broad statement. A man is to be uncovered in public and praying and prophesying, ministering and acting in public. He is to be uncovered because of a divine reality connect, connected with his creation. He was created to be the image and glory of God, and that glory is manifested as a man is uncovered. Why? Because covering is a divine, watch it, a divine symbol of what? Submission. Covering means to be humble. It is a sign of humility. You're not bold-faced. You're not taking the lead. You're not stepping out. You're diminishing and covering 
is a sign of submissiveness. Now remember this. You are created and made in the image of God to what? To be the glory of God. I mean, a man is the highest manifestation of God on earth. Why? Because a man was given divine dominion. Man has been given divine dominion of the world. In other words, as man goes forth as the, as the head of his home and, and as male leadership, he is, he is the leader of God's agenda to rule and subdue the earth. He is God's vice regent. He stands in God's place to demonstrate to the world God's values and who God is. And so it was God's intent that man would rule and subdue the earth and demonstrate and to, to bring God's law and God's character to bear in the world. And that would be God's image that is now being reflected as we demonstrate his character. Do you follow? Man was created and ultimately given, and Adam was given charge of that mandate to rule and subdue the earth. He is now God's representative to the world of who God is. And so as Adam lived out that mandate, and as he lived according to God's character, he would demonstrate God's character to the world. And so he says, for a man ought to have a covering since he is the image of God and the glory of God. He demonstrates who he is. He's created in his image, which means there are certain things about mankind, about how he was created that are in God's image. He's, he's been given reason and, and, and volition. He's been given all of these things that reflect God's character in order to fulfill God's plan to rule and subdue the earth. And therefore, he now uses that image to reflect God's glory. He's not giving God glory. glory. God has all the inherent glory that he needs. We talked about, I think, that last week, didn't we? But we now attribute to God the glory that it deserves him, and we reflect that glory. He says, but the woman is the glory of man. But... The woman is the glory of man. What does he mean by that? Woman was made to manifest man's authority and man's will as man was made to manifest God's authority. I'm going to say that again. Okay. The woman was made to manifest man's authority and man's will as man was made to manifest God's authority. Wow. You don't hear that often, do you? But the reality is that what? He continues on. For man does not originate from the woman, but the woman from the man. In other words, this is, comes from creation. In other words, man, woman was created for who? for man. It's not good for man to be alone. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. In other words, the, the woman was created to help the man. He was created, she was created as part of that structure that God created where he said, listen, this is how I want the universe to run. I created Adam first. Why? Because he would be the leader. He would be the one that would name the animals. He would name Eve, demonstrating that he was, had leadership over her. And now he has created the woman to respond, as it were, to the leadership and follow male leadership. That's what she was part of what she was created to do. She was created to complement her husband to help with his weaknesses and to follow his leadership. 
And we know that this is a picture of Christ in the church, right? Marriage is a picture of the Christ of, of the church and Christ. And so part of being a godly woman is to follow what? Male leadership. That's what God has ordained. He ordained it right in the creation order. Therefore, the woman ought to have... So he says, listen, the the creation order tells us that there needs to be a willing submission of women to male leadership. And he says it's created right into what men and women are. So he says you can wear a veil on your head. You can cover yourself culturally here because guess what? It's in the created order. And then he puts this little phrase in here, and I'm just not sure what Paul's trying to do to us this morning. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Wow. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is the symbol? What's because of the angels? Well, simply put, I think he's saying in verse 10 here is is simply this. It is right for the women in Corinth to have a symbol of authority, having that veil on their head and to demonstrate their submission because of the angels. What do you mean because of the angels? What does that mean? Well, there are about 17 views you can take on that. But I would understand that the angels themselves are those who were there at creation. They saw creation order. They are the ones who watched the church. And he says to them, listen, the angels understand as servants of God, those who are in submission themselves, they understand submission. And they are looking at the church to see God's glory, to see his wisdom. And they are offended when the church is not acting as it should be. And when they see women in lack of submission to their divine role, they are offended. Now that's where I land. There are those who would say, well, actually this is, these are angels. This is a warning. Angels fell in Genesis chapter six. They were put into, because they went out of their role. Therefore, this is a warning. Could be, could be. But Paul says, and again, we don't want to lose the forest for the trees. The idea is simply this, be willing to submit, be willing to fulfill your role. Don't overthrow it. Use your freedom to do that. So he says, listen, you might be getting at at this point, you might be saying, wow, it sure seems like Paul has a low view of women. He is really taking the boots to them, right? He's really making them second-class citizens. But that's not Paul's intent. Paul's intent is for women to fulfill their God-ordained role, which in fulfilling that role will ultimately be what? Bring them greatest happiness. And so Paul now kind of balances it here. He balances the principle in verse 11 and 12. He says, however, in the Lord, neither is a woman independent of a man, nor is a man independent of the woman. For as a woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through woman and all things 
originate from God. Nevertheless, here's the limits. And he's saying here, he's talking about the church. He says, in the Lord, or Christianity in the Lord. He says, in the church, in Christianity, men are dependent on women as much as women are dependent on men. They're not independent of each other. In the Lord, we work together. In the Lord, we are equal. And then he says, for a woman originates from the man, so all the man has his birth through woman, and all things originate from God. In other words, he says, listen, yeah, the first, man, the first woman came from man. God put Adam to sleep and took a rib out of him. But guess what? Where did the next man came from? Originated through what? Woman, right? And in fact, it says that women shall be what? Saved through childbirth. In other words, women now have the opportunity to what? Shape the next men as mothers, the next leaders. So man has his birth through woman. All things originate from God. Guess what? All of the orders that are given all the relationships, the authority, and the submission originates from who? From God. All of this comes from him. So Paul says, don't, don't get carried away thinking that somehow that women are less. They are equal in Christ. They are equal in the Lord. They have equal salvation. They have a different role to play. In the Lord, they are equal, though the roles are separate and different. And the reality is you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for women, men, so don't get too big. Don't think that somehow they're less than. In God's eyes, they have equal value, equal standing. They simply fulfill a different role in God's divine plan. And then Paul ends this section and he, and he really he, he gives a response. He says, I want you to respond to this. I want you to respond what I've said to you. He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? So Paul says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you and I'm going to assume that as you think this through that you're going to agree with me. I'm going to assume that you have the ability to actually think this through. Make your own judgment. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God uncovered? So he says, now after everything I've said to you from verse 2 to 12, what I pointed out culturally in your society, this is the norm. You make the judgment. Should a woman pray with her head uncovered? What is the answer? No, can't. Can't do it. That's the only answer, right? In Corinth... Because of the culture, can't do it. Then he takes it another step in verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. Now Paul states here, and he says, really, doesn't nature... Doesn't your instinct itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. And it's kind of interesting because you, you, as you look at that, we recognize that men and women are different with their hair. Men go through, through stages because of testosterone and usually our hair grows and then it goes away, right, quickly, more quickly than we would like, right? because of the way our bodies are made. And so we, we would even naturally realize that men tend to have shorter hair because they, they don't have any hair. So you can see we're spiking our hair more every week, 
right? So there's a, there's a, natural, a natural thing there, but also instinctively we just look and we say what? Hair is the glory of a woman. And the idea is simply this, culturally throughout history, with, with very few exceptions, men have always had shorter hair than women. That's just the way it is. It has always been that way. And to some degree, God is saying, listen, for a woman, it's her glory. In other words, it's part of her femininity. It's part of her, her softness, part of her, who she is. It's her glory. And you, will, you, you know every, almost everywhere you go that women have longer hair than men. And, that they are, and, and the idea here is simply this as well. We want us to be within our roles, within our culture. In other words, our hair needs to be what? As a woman, it needs to be feminine. As a man, it needs to be what? Masculine. Now, there's discretion in that, right? There's discretion in that. But the idea is, are we, are we wearing our hair like a man? Or are we wearing it like a woman? Don't be effeminate. Women, don't be like a man. Don't be masculine with your hair. And so Paul says, it's known for this. It's, it's her glory. In other words, it's, it's been given to her as a covering. God has given women hair that stays and that's long for what? For a covering. It's just, it's not, nature tells you that there's a covering on a woman's head. And so when you look across a crowd, you normally, you normally can pick out who, who is who, can't you? You look, you see a ponytail. You, normally you're not thinking that's a guy. Normally you're thinking what, that's a girl, right? And there's something about that that, that is feminine and attractive. It just is. And so he says, nature tells you this. Nature tells you that it is natural for a woman to have her head covered. So why should it be so hard for you in Corinth to be willing to put the veil on or whatever that covering was? Because our nature already tells you that a woman's head is covered. God gave you a natural covering. This is just a covering. This is a sign of submission. This is why should it be so difficult? And then Paul really ends it with this. We, we could call it another, another defense, but, but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. And again, I think he's here referring to the length of hair, and he says that all the churches are the same. Right? All the churches, if you're, going to, if you're going to buck against the trend that women have longer hair than men, he says, we don't have any other practice. This is normal. This is, this is what takes place in the churches of God. Every, everywhere we go, everywhere we look, the pattern is the same. And so Paul says, nature tells you that. Instinct tells you that. You can look at that and you just know. It's normative. Don't be contentious because what? Everyone in the church is this way. You're not going to go find some other church that's going to support you in this. There's no apostolic teaching somewhere else that's going to, they're going to say it's okay for your hair not to reflect your gender. So Paul says, listen, understand this. Understand that this is normative in nature, it's normative in culture, it's okay to have a covering. And so as Paul's walked through this text here, his goal is not to universally say to you, all women must have a head covering on. He's not even saying that you need to have a head covering on in church. 
He's not saying that you have to put it on just when you pray and prophesy in church. He is saying this, and I think very clearly he's saying this. Be willing to submit to the authorities in your life in a way that is culturally acceptable, demonstrating that you are clearly fulfilling your role as a woman or a man. And so what I say t today that you need to come to church with a head covering. No, I wouldn't. First of all, I don't even really know what it is. It's just hanging down from the, having hanging down from the head. Could be a scarf, could be a veil. Don't know. It's not a hat. We know that. So whatever's taking place here, Paul, I would understand, is simply saying, be willing to submit to your role, be willing to go along and look culturally according to your gender, where it's appropriate, okay? Well, we'll add that appropriate at the end, okay? And so Paul is saying to the women here, be willing to give up your freedom to wear this head covering at this point because it's culturally appropriate and it demonstrates your willingness to submit to your role to society who sees you submitting to male leadership and to your husband and ultimately it is in God's design universally to submit to male leadership and to submit and to your role and to, to what is gender appropriate. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. So you now have Pastor Tony's version of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so if you have any questions, feel free to ask Pastor David. And uh, we'll go from there. But uh, you're welcome. But it is a difficult passage. And so I present that to you humbly. You certainly are willing to examine that. There's a lot that is hard to know. But I think that ultimately, I think the con I would understand that the concept here is authority, submission, and fulfilling your God-given gender role. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you for giving it to us. And we pray this morning as we look at this passage that, again, you will uh, use it in our lives in the way that you have intended and that you will make application in our own hearts and that we would be those who would be willing not only to submit to the authorities in our lives, but we would be willing to fulfill the roles you've given to us and that we would be gender appropriate. And so I pray that we would uh, be willing to do that that we would see your design and that we would rejoice in it knowing that your design, you have created it for our good and for our happiness and for, for our blessing and that we would be willing to embrace it because you've revealed it to us in your word, I pray. Pray this for your glory in your name and for your glory. Amen.